Welcome to the JFI's Weekly Choosing Up podcast with author and therapist, Ilana Kendall, and me, your host, Ellie Bass. Each week, we explore how to get into a Choosing Up headspace using insights from my book of the same name, as well as Jewish wisdom, psychology, and more. Join us now for this week's episode. Are you ready to choose up? Good morning. Good morning. Okay. We are live. Uh, Okay, I'm going to just let people in. Everybody's good to go. We all have our big giant things to do. Ah, Yes, I am. Okay, fantastic. Amazing. All right. Awesome. Reese's got hers too. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, amazing. Uh, I'm going to keep letting people in. Welcome back, everyone. Um, we're super excited to do this uh, Hanukkah edition of our pre-Shabbat schmooze choosing up with uh, the wonderful and light and bright Ilana Kendall. So uh, Ilana, what are we going to choose up about this week? What's happening? Well, first, I just, I feel like I wanted to share with you some of our Hanukkah excitement over here. Mm. Um so we got these. I, I, so if you're listening to the podcast after, you'll just have to imagine that I have some really ridiculous um, photo booth props because like, I just, I had to share this. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Where did you get those? Uh, you know, friendly. What? Oh my gosh. These are so good. Okay. So if nothing else, if, if nothing- I feel like we need to invest. We actually should do an entire Zoom just using those. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) All right. Now that we're filled with donuts and oil and and funky things, what's happening? What's going on in the in the world these days? Well, I think the most appropriate place to, to really be talking about is the world inside. Um, and by inside, I mean in our homes, because this is really the place and the space of the mitzvahs of Hanukkah, the central mitzvah of, of publicizing the miracle of, of what happened at the time of Hanukkah and really the, the ongoing unfolding story of, of that miracle in our lives in here. And so today, what I was hoping we would do is we would start off with just some, some Hanukkah ideas um move into some concepts really that I think are specific to this time. And last week we we spoke about this idea that a lot of times the refua, the healing or the remedy is sent before the affliction. And Hanukkah is a festival of exile. And it's a festival that commemorates and and pun intended ignites the light of of a story and a piece of our history that occurred when we were in exile but it's also a message for how we navigate and how we live in exile and many many levels of exile historical exile personal exile uh, even you know seasonal exile we are at the darkest time of the year mm-hmm. but but i think it's a particularly interesting message for us this year as we are much more in our homes yeah, it's almost like we're in exile from the outside world this time. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. We've been sent home. Mm-hmm. Go to your room. Yeah. And think about this. <laughs> think about this. You, you know that you're really an adult when go to your room and close the door is not a punishment. <laughs> yeah. So true. It's like okay. score. Yeah. Awesome. Sure. However long you want me to go. I'm good. I'm good. Um, so, so yeah, so let's start over there. Let's shift to some concepts of, of really resilience and hope, which is so much of the, the thread and the foundation of the work that we do here together. I had some amazing voice memos and notes of choosing up reflections, which was the charge, the task of the week. So I want to share those with you and then let's see what we have time for. How's that sound? Awesome. Go. Seatbelts fastened? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, so the first thing just that, that I always marvel at when it comes to Hanukkah is how in the everyday of our life it is. Mm. And we don't take a day off of work. Typically mm-hmm. um, there's not a Yom Tov day, meaning we don't observe other than Shabbat Hanukkah, which will be tonight. We don't observe, um, you know, a day where we are desisting from from work and having Yom Tov festive meals, although there there is a a tradition to have celebratory meals. Uh, You know, we're Jews. Why not? Of course. course. (laughs) Tried to kill us, we won. Let's eat. Yeah, exactly. Let's eat. Let's eat. Um, Did you have something to eat yet? Are you okay? Did you have breakfast? (laughs) This is is the question. So nevertheless, the central place and space of Hanukkah observance is within the home. And in fact, when we come to the halachos, the the laws, the guidelines for how to observe this mitzvah, what what always strikes me is there is a directive about the height of the Hanukkah or the menorah in our home. And it can't be lower than three tfachim, which is about 12 inches. And it shouldn't be above 10 tfachim, which is about 40 inches. Okay. Um, interesting, actually. So, so we we live in a building, and and my husband and I were talking about this. That there are there is some idea that perhaps if you're above the second floor, which we are, you might not fulfill your mitzvah. And one of the sages, the Chassam Sofer, says that maybe it's good to put some kind of decoration um, to draw more attention to your window. Interesting. Yeah. So if, if you have Hanukkah decorations outside, which we have some gels on our window, you know, right. maybe like actually fulfilling, yeah. <laughs> you're fulfilling this opinion. Oh, that's so interesting. But what about those big Chabad menorahs? Okay, beautiful. So this is always the question that comes up. We love the work that Chabad does. I'm just going to say like fa- beautiful, beautiful work. Yep. So, so I read, um, a response to that this year from, um, I believe it was Rabbi Emanuel Bernstein, who's some of his work I want to share a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's beautiful. It's not fulfilling this, this aspect of the mitzvah. Interesting. Right? The, 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 the central place and location of our observance of the mitzvah of lighting the Hanukkah is within the home. Oh, so that makes sense. So this is a public menorah rather than menorah in your home. So it's fulfilling a different purpose. So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. because actually the central mitzvah is for each of us to light in our home. Right, right. And there's this idea that it shouldn't be too low, right? Like it it has to be above three tfachim, right? We we don't want it like right down on the ground, but it also can't be too high. And we know that anytime there is an instruction for us, there are also sort of metaphysical truths that are speaking to us. 
And, and so one of the concepts that emerges from this is that the holiness and the awareness of our mission, of our purpose, of our connection is not meant to be too lofty and too high when it comes to Hanukkah. That we don't need to, so to speak, like pole vault ourselves out of our life that we likewise are not meant to, to go too low, right? Like we don't drop to the floor, much as I know we all like our grounding practices that involve the floor. That's, that's another week's <laughs> discussion. But when it comes to Hanukkah, we lift off a little bit, but not too high. Mm. And I remember learning a number of years ago, an idea from Rav Pincus, who said, this is the central aspect of the message of Hanukkah, which is the holiness comes into our space. And that we're actually like, we're not, this is not the slam dunk where we're like jumping outside of, of our metrics that we're normally functioning within that we don't want to, to be so high because that's, that's not everyday life. Mm-hmm. That everyday life and our everyday experiences and so much now in our homes takes place within that range, right? Within that three to 10 range. And it's within that space. It's within kind of where we would normally be standing and walking and talking that we are meant to bring this awareness of God's presence in our lives. And I think it's such a powerful message for us this year when we are used to, even though those are the halachos, right? Like even those those are the guidelines and, and the way that every year we observe this, this mitzvah, we also do things that are extraordinary and fantastic. And we go out and we, we, we have the pleasure of a newness and we have the pleasure of connection with larger groups and, and, and many experiences that really, for so many of us, we are deprived of this year. And it seems to me that the mitzvah of, of lighting the Hanukkah, of kindling those Hanukkah lights is telling us, yeah, and that's exactly where we need to be. And that's exactly where we have the opportunity to awaken our senses, to awaken our awareness, and that we don't actually have to go outside of the normal bounds of our home and our lives, that that's exactly where the awakening happens. And, and so there is this beautiful idea that I read from, from Rabbi Bernstein, as I referenced him. He asked the question, which is as follows, why is there such an intimate connection between having a home and fulfilling this mitzvah. Hmm. Because when we, when we learn about observing Hanukkah, one of the things that we learn is that you should light your menorah where you're dwelling. Meaning if you sleep in a hotel, you light in the hotel. If you're sleeping in the dorms, you light in the dorms. If you're sleeping at home, you light at home, whatever right. home is, right. right? But you need a home. And then in fact, if you don't dwell in a, in a space that night, you're exempt from fulfilling the mitzvah, right? Like if you are sleeping outside, you don't you don't light your menorah. Now, I don't know any of us who are sleeping outside under the stars, but I can tell you when I was 15 and I went on this trip to Israel, now I think about it. Like, how did I do this? I don't know if my mother knows this. She's here now. I remember we went to this Bedouin tent, right? Like this is like the average, this is like the classic trip, right? That, that they take and you take, the, they take you to this tent. My friends and I, like, we had to like, just do it like a little bit more extreme, right? So we slept outside of the tent under the stars. Now I think like, oh my goodness. <laughs> It's good to be 15, but only once. <laughs> Thank you, Hashem, that I'm here. <laughs> um, so if you sleep under the stars, you, you, don't light, you don't light the menorah. You don't light your, your Hanukkah. Interesting. 
And Rabbi Bernstein asks the question, well, like, why is this mitzvah so tethered to, to the home? You know, if you are sleeping under the stars or God forbid you're homeless, you still have the obligation of hearing Megillah at Purim. You still have the obligation of, of eating matzah at, at Pesach. Why this? And, and so he brings us, and I thought this was just such an, an incredible message for us this year as well. He brings us to the actual original menorah. Where was the original menorah? In the temple. In the temple. Right. So that when we rededicate the menorah and when we light our menorah, we're not just lighting that menorah in isolation, but that it's placed in a context. And the context historically was the temple. Right. Yep. And currently it's also the temple, but where is the temple? It's our home. Right. And he used this phrase that, that the home was made by Chazal, by our sages, to be the Kedusha embassy, mm, the holiness that. embassy. And what other year in our generation have we experienced the truth of this when we have not been able for so much of the time and for, for many of us, you know, wherever you're listening, for many of us, this is still the case. We can't go to our synagogues. Mm -hmm. We can't go to our public places of worship where we maybe traditionally would have associated the pomp and circumstance and experience of that holiness. And our sages said, you know, you're going to be in exile and, and there are going to be times when those external structures or experiences are going to be stripped away but we're going to give you the anchor and the place where actually you're going to grow that connection. And, and that's the home. I love that so much because I do think, you know, we live in a time where we have the, in, the incredible benefit of so many amazing Jewish organizations and so many of the places that we live, where we have all of this infrastructure outside of our home that supports our Jewish life and our Jewish learning. But really at its essence, without a temple, the center of a Jewish life is in the home. It's Absolutely. not the shul, it's not the school, it's not like any of those places. The center of Jewish life takes place in the home. And, and we often forget that because we have so many places to go, right? There's so many different places where we can have those experiences. But um, I, I think that's such an interesting um, comment on this particular time you know, where people are saying, are these different organizations going to be able to survive the pandemic? And what does that look like? And what will my Judaism be if I don't have a JCC? What will my Judaism be if I don't have those organizations in the same way? And God forbid they should close down because we definitely need them. But at the same time, like, we should be asking, like, what is my home in my Jewish practice? And how do I um, you know, you do a Hanukkah Habayit, like, mm -hmm. which is when you buy a new home and you rededicate your space. And so how often do we think about rededicating our own home to that Kedusha? I love that idea of Kedusha Embassy. That's such an awesome uh, way to think about it. Isn't it? When I yeah. read that, I was like, oh my gosh, you have to hear this. Yeah, so good. <laughs> just, just such a beautiful way of capturing what we're meant to be doing here in these spaces. You know, there's this popular show at the moment, The Home Edit. Oh, I haven't seen uh, it yet. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm seeing a, a head nod. My daughter and I are really into it. Um, which it's like basically like hormone, home organization and cleaning, but when you call it editing, like it feels way cooler. <laughs> it's no longer the, the condo method. Now this is the editing. Yeah, method. yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, we cool. moved on. Yeah, right. we're, we're, we're over sparking joy. Now, now we're home editing, um, but, but what I, I think is such a, um, 
a fun thing to borrow from, from this concept of how do you, you know, make a space spark joy? How do you make a right. space um, express what you want to feel in is to look around our home and not just with the physical objects, but with the words that we're using, with yeah. the content that we are bringing in. Mm. Uh, even where are we putting our energy? What are we modeling for ourselves, for the people around us? Yeah. How are we building this Kadusha embassy? How are we educating the people around us and ourselves because you know we are in the business of raising ourselves spiritually here so so what are we raising ourselves to be ambassadors of if, if we are in this embassy mm. yeah I love that and I think also you know one of the things I recently moved so one of the things that I really tried to intentionally think through is what do I want my home to feel like Mm -hmm. not just what I want it to look like, but how do I want it to feel? And then how, what are the things that I need to move into my home or set up in my house that allow that feeling, um, that awareness to like create and permeate. So I love that. That's really, that's a great way to think about it on Hanukkah. Yeah. Robert Sintorsky says, you know, if you want to know what a woman of a, of a home is about, just uh, in the fa family is about, just like walk into her home and look around. Mm. And sometimes I do that, right? Like, oh yeah, so like that that book and that cookbook are open and that mess is over there. But like, what's the story that this is telling? And, right. and, and is this the story that I want to be telling in my home? Right, yeah, which is interesting. We just talked this week about clothes right? The entire Parsha last week was all about clothes, right? But what are the, you know, the clothes make the man, so to speak, or the woman, like, what do our clothes say about us? So now Hanukkah comes along and says, okay, also, what does your space say about you? How are you communicating? And is it feeding you? And are you feeding it? And, and what does that exchange look like? So that's such an interesting way to consciously think about our space. Yes. Yeah. Should we switch gears to like my next most favorite concept about Hanukkah? 100%. Yes. Okay. Let's keep going. <laughs> okay. So famous question. It's a question of the base Yosef. And he asks as follows. The miracle, right? So this is the story like we all heard as kids, right? So the Maccabees, right? If you can like imagine your cartoon Maccabees, they're marching into the temple. They find this one jug, right? Of pure olive oil. And it's meant to burn for one night, but instead it burns for eight nights. Now, let me tell you, math was never my like star subject. However, <laughs> the simple math here, even I can do is that if it was meant to burn for one night, but instead it burned for eight nights, how many nights were miraculous really? Seven. Seven, seven, <laughs> so classic question, right? Like, why do we celebrate eight nights? So many, right. many answers are given because hey, we're Jews, many answers. <laughs> Lots of numbers, lots of answers. Lots of numbers, lots of answers. I want to give you my favorite answer because a year does not go by when I don't think about this story and how it is a foundational piece of what it is to be a Jew. Mm -hmm. So the challenge of hearing these stories as young children, or when I say like the cartoon Maccabees, can I tell you, I remember when I was like, eight years old, I got these, this set of Maccabees that were chocolate covered oh, in yeah, yeah. oil, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah, when yeah. I think, like, I think about the Maccabees, I think about those, like, those little chocolates, <laughs> which are really cute, but actually not so historically accurate, because really what they you were- You mean they, they weren't chocolate? They were, I know, I'm sorry to burst your bubble here, <laughs> but what they were, were these 
brave Jews who not, not only were standing up in a physical battle, but this was really a spiritual battle. Right. And what they were standing for in the world was Jewish existence, right? Jewish survival. And here they are, they've, they've fought this battle and they come into the temple. Now this very much links up to what we were just talking about because again, a lot of the time we think about the temple and we think about maybe a synagogue or maybe some like very grand building that is nice and beautiful and maybe awe-inspiring, but also like a little bit disconnected from our personal lives. But the temple really was the place where we had the greatest experience of connection, of clarity. It was the, the interface really between heaven and earth in this world. It, it was our spiritual home. And so if our homes now are at the Kedusha embassy or the, or the holiness embassy, so, so going into the temple was going into our home as well. Mm. And here the Maccabees came in, they have been fighting. They are on like, you know, the last legs of energy and they come in and, and everything is ransacked, right? Like the temple is all but destroyed. And here's this one Pach Shemen, this one jug of pure olive oil and amidst all of that destruction, right? Like if you kind of imagine your childhood home, you come in and like your grandmother's china is smashed. Or, you know, I remember my booby talking about the, the experience when the Germans came in to their home, mm. watching them open, as she said, the Svarmschank, the, the, the uh, bookcases of mm. holy books yeah. that her father had studied and taking them and throwing them out the window. Like this was the scene. Wow. And instead of giving up, instead of sitting down in despair and having a good cry or, you know, like reaching for the nearest chocolates or, or you know, mechanism of numbing out and, and, and comforting ourselves, what they did was they lit the menorah. Mm. And that in and of itself is a miracle. And that's one of the answers, right? Like, what's the miracle of the first night? That they simply lit it. Mm, right, that they right. didn't give up, that they found hope when pretty reasonable to only see darkness. Hmm. And that that's actually miraculous. Like that is superhuman behavior. Yeah. And it also speaks so much to the deeper story of the Jewish people, which is like, we don't, we've, you know, we've been through some stuff, but we don't behave with a victim mentality. We usually tend to um, behave the opposite. Like we get super creative. What can we do with this? How can we make this work? What, what can we make of this situation? Like certainly there's people who are, are traumatized, but on the whole, like, yeah, we're not even supposed to be here, you know, based on all of our history. So I think that's so cool that the holiday itself is a spiritual holiday, that they were trying to wipe out our spirituality but not only did we survive it, we like came back and lit, like lit up. Mm -hmm. It's such an interesting um, thing to think about. There was something about those two directions. They were coming to wipe us out and we're coming up with, um, no, no, no. Uh, not only will you not like kill us off, we're actually going to light. <laughs> like it's yeah. so interesting. Wow. Well, and I think part of like that answer, what it captures is that sometimes 
just like putting one foot in front of the other is overcoming our nature, right? The definition of a miracle is something that is overriding the laws of nature. And, And we learn like that the nature of the human being is afar, is dust, is earthiness, right? Is, is let me hit snooze again, (laughs) is let me pull the covers over my head and like wake up in the spring. And so that sometimes just continuing on is miraculous behavior. I, I heard a story of a, um, Hatsala responder, so a volunteer paramedic responder in Lakewood, New Jersey, who had last, I believe it was last year, gone to a home. There was a call on Hanukkah and they went to the home and they were attending to an elderly woman and and they got her stabilized and then it was time to take her to the hospital. And as they were going to like the sort of exit through which they would need to take her to, to, to go to the hospital, her husband, an elderly man, walked into that space, which was sort of like a sunroom. And they saw that he was approaching where he had his Hanukkah. And he said, you know, before my wife goes to the hospital, I'd, I'd like to light the, the Hanukkah lights for her. And they said, okay. And then, and then this, 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 paramedic, this volunteer paramedic responder said, and then he noticed that next to the Hanukkah, there was a potato Mm. with a little dip in it and some oil Mm. and a wick. And he asked the man, you know, what is that? And, And probably many of us have heard such stories that in the war, in the Holocaust, that there were people who found ways to still fulfill this mitzvah. And so he said, you know, he explains like, this was what we did. This is what my mother did actually for us in our home. And we couldn't light our big Hanukkah. We couldn't have a show of a menorah in our window, but we still found a way. And so I light this potato every year to remember where I came from and where I am. And and his message that he shared, this Holocaust survivor that he shared was that Hanukkah is a holiday of our strength, but also understanding that we come from a family and we come from generations. And and so I suppose part of the, the comfort and the message that I find in this conceptualization and, and in this message is that hope doesn't always come easy. And resilience, while it may be wired into our spiritual DNA, is not always as accessible as we might like it to be. Yeah. And that sometimes we need to like pull on lifelines. We need to look and go, okay, like I, I come from this tradition, you know, like this might be the year that it looks more like a potato than, than a silver menorah, but somewhere deep inside of me, there's a precedent for this. And that if all it is, is like getting out of bed, you know, and talking myself into taking that shower, because we all know we have been in places and times and days when like, getting ourselves or getting someone we love into the shower is the accomplishment, that that is the accomplishment. And that it is through the, the somewhat seemingly mundane acts of, of hope yeah. that we build this muscle. And that, that can be miraculous living. You know, Sometimes when I'm working with clients, we talk about this looking for the evidence of hope. Because a lot of the time people are feeling very hopeless. And what's kind of magical is to begin like with these detective eyes, with this curiosity that we so often talk about here, looking for evidence that that we are still hopeful, right? Like you showed up for your appointment today or wow, like you've started an exercise routine. You're going for a walk every day. Like you must believe that you could feel better. You must believe that something is around the corner or we're not always gonna be 
here or in this and getting excited together. So, so maybe, you know, if the first concept that, that I wanted to share around Hanukkah was the holiness in our home and, and the presence of the almighty below those, those and below the 40 inches in the everyday of our life? How do we ignite that light? How do we tell the story in our space? And I think the second is, is really for us to be hope detectives. Like, how are we living somewhat miraculously, even though things are challenging or hard or not as we expected, not what we are ordered, not what we signed up for, whatever your like internal script is, you can fill it in for us. Right. Where is the hope? And becoming a hope detective Yeah, I, I look, I think there's not much for me to say about that. I think it's just it's it's a very unique um, paradigm that's built into the holiday. Right. And that this, you know, it's like you said, it's not big, big, giant candles. Right. We could have had a, a holiday where the candles are huge and the flame is massive and da, 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 da. no, it's like these little candles that are only going to burn for like a certain amount of time um, in the darkest part of the year. Um, mm -hmm. And you'd think like, well, what's that going to do? Like, it's not so much light. Um, but there's something about the act of lighting them anyways, um, that, that in itself is like that little piece of hope. So yeah, that's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. I think as Rosh Shlomo Kralbach says that in every generation, each Jew has a little bit of that Shaman, a little bit of their own jug of oil, of pure olive oil within themselves. And each of us, when we come to that point where we think we can't go on, there's just no way. We don't have, we don't have what it takes. We don't have the, the energy, the koach. Mm -hmm. So that little bit of pure olive oil within us enables us to continue. Mm. Love it. So I heard okay. some really good stories. From, do, I, I know I want to hear them. I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear what people have sent in. Okay. So the first one, so these were, were um, voice notes. So I listened to them and I'm hoping that I'm expressing them um, as accurately as possible. So the first one is from Shira. So Shira was sharing that where she is, there are a lot of cases of COVID. Mm. Things are pretty shut down. Um, and for she, for her and her family, number of kids at home, it's starting to get pretty challenging. And that one of the things that typically would bring a lot of pleasure um, would be being able to go out and to do different things and to have a change of scene or, you know, to to, to experience different spaces and, and ways of being and that everything is getting a bit, you know, more and more of the same. And she connected this really beautifully to an idea from Hanukkah, which is that we know that there were certain gazeros, certain restrictions that were put on the Jewish people at the time of Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. And the three, three main restrictions were that we were not allowed to do Brit Milah, we are not allowed to do circumcision on newborn baby boys. We were not allowed to observe Shabbat and we were not allowed to observe Rosh Chodesh, the marking of the new Jewish month. And the commonality, one of the commonalities between all three of those is that they all mark newness and renewal, right? So a, a bris or brit milah is connected to a new life. Shabbat is connected to the cycle of the week and newness in the week and renewing ourselves spiritually. And Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the Jewish month, is also renewal, a new month, a new beginning. And that what was at that time was trying to be removed from us was our ability to connect to renewal. The, the removal of our capacity to spark the sense of, of excitement and novelty and the belief that 
that we could reset on, on all these spiritual planes. And so too, at this time, we are challenged because that newness in a sense is a little bit removed from us. However, it's not, it's not being imposed as a, a spiritual agenda to remove us from those practices. But nevertheless, there could be this feeling of, ah, what's new in my life, right? Here again, Groundhog Day. And so what, what she shared was that she felt that for her, the, the choosing up paradigm, right? This, this practice of looking at our life, looking at our experience, being aware of where we're going, like, oh, it's more of the same, or this is how I'm looking at it. And then seeing where our opportunities to go, okay, how can I look at this differently? Where might there be some meaning, some growth, a message from God is that the message for her and that she wanted to share with us is how do I find renewal? How do I continue to stay connected to spaces and experiences that enable me to continue renewing myself, my growth, my connection? Um, and when, when she said, I want to leave you with a practical tip, and we know, right, like we, we always want our learning to be very, very concrete mm -hmm. um, and be able to translate not just into how we're thinking or how we're feeling, but really how, how we're doing as, as Jews and as individuals. So, so she said there's, you know, this, this thing going around in her community, which is they are doing meal exchanges. So, you know, like there's a thing like a meal train if somebody is, you know, had a baby or, or, you know, dealing with an illness or something where people get together and they make meals for, for that right. person, for their family. But this is where you just like swap meal making. So you have someone else's food. Nice. Just like, um, uh, you know, shake it up. But, you know, I think there are so many ways that we can think about this, right? How, how do we, you know, listen to something different, um, move to a different space, even within our space, right? Like what are the ways that we can continue to get ourselves excited and sparked about what, what we are doing? And I think it does take more creativity because instead of it being externally generated, we are being asked now to be the choreographers of many of those experiences. However, they are there. Right. And the truth is we are able, thank God, to do Brit Mila, to observe Shabbat, to mark the, the new month. And so perhaps those are the places where we can start, right? Um, I don't know if anyone here is having a baby or made a Brit Mila recently, but certainly like Shabbos, Shabbat is just hours away. And, and soon we will mark the new month again. And, and these practices are still here for us and are our anchors of, of renewal at this time. Yeah, I, I think it it's challenging for everyone right now because you're having to rethink, um, you know, we all kind of have our go-tos, you know, our sort of love languages with ourselves in terms of what makes us feel good, what makes us, what gives us energy, what supports us. And now, and if, if a lot of those things were tied to stuff outside of ourselves, mm -hmm. suddenly many people find themselves adrift. And so this idea that how, what is it that I really need? And is the only way to fulfill that something that is outside of me? Um, you know, and that in itself is a very confronting question. So kind of an interesting time, like um, that type of renewal that can come from that's inner generated, not just outer generated. Well, 
I don't know if it's only inner generated because so much of how we observe Shabbat or even how we observe the new month is externally defined, right? Like there are things that we do. Mm. There are practices that we engage in or don't. There are orders of prayers. So, so I don't think that it's completely reinventing the wheel from the inside out. Mm. I think it's just much more of a personal uh, approach, meaning I'm not, I'm not being swept up by the currents of the people around me because this is what we're all doing or this is what's right. happening or I experience Shabbat because I go to shul and this is, but nevertheless, um, I, I, I wonder if, if totally internally generated is, is what we're being asked to do because I agree. Maybe, that's then, maybe I'm more thinking like internally defined, right? So I think it's yeah. more it's more about clarifying in its essence what is this that I need or that I want, and if I can't get it in the same way outside of me, what are some of the other ways that I can potentially get this so that I can have the energy to to renew to keep going forward? Like um, maybe clarifying in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if we go to the world of analogy, because like, Hey, what, what's what a day is there? <laughs> without, without an analogy, I kind of think about it as what the little bit that I understand about bike racing is that there's this like current, right? Like you, mm-hmm. I think when I've seen like on the tour de France or whatever, right? Like you want to get into a certain place in the pack because then the, the wind current or the energy or someone who knows the proper terms better than me, you can like, right. let me know. <laughs> um, right. It's like carry. something to do with drag, I think. Right. And then. It yeah. Yes. Yes. And so, so when we are able to be more in community, sometimes that's kind of like just carrying us. Mm, yeah. So like when we are able to be more out there and now it's much more like on my own bike, but it's still a bike, right? Like we're not, we're not kind of reinventing so much as how do I create some of those experiences either on my own because you know many right. are, are on their own um, or or just in more quiet spaces or you know if you have lots of young kids at home it's much less quiet but but how do we yeah still meaningfully go on the ride right yeah beautiful yeah yeah oh okay. there's a question yeah, it, it's less a question more than building upon what you said. Um, you, you, you use the phrase reinventing the wheel, right? And I was, I was actually thinking about um, Adam Minsky, who's the head of the Federation in Toronto, wrote a beautiful piece from Rabbi Lamb, who died this year. His wife died of COVID. He's absolutely, those who are on the call who don't know, he was the head of um, the yeshiva, and he was very involved in modern orthodoxy. Yeah. And, he had made an address 45 years ago that ha- was after um, one of the wars and he equated it to Hanukkah. And so back to what you were saying, it was all of these things are here and, inf- and available and we're doing them and we're so caught up in maybe the, the gravity of our circumstances that we have to sort of get out of our own way and just see the the miracle of the, the simplicity of lighting this candle in the dark. The, the miracle of that light is the, the metaphor of the darkness in our lives. Like maybe you're right. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to look at the wheel, see the beauty of what it's doing, the, 
you know, the unending momentum and, and so forth. Beautiful. Thank you. I, I yeah. love, I love a, an extra level on a metaphor. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And it's stunning too, because it really fits with like, who is happy one who, you know, it's gratitude, like looking at what you already have one who's happy with his lot, who's rich one is one who is happy with his lot. So this idea of reevaluating what you already have and appreciating it in a different way that makes you that shifts the paradigm altogether. Um, well, and that beautifully connects to another answer that is given to the famous question of the base Yosef, right? If it's really only seven nights, the miraculous, why do we light on the first night as well? Or, you know, have, have that eighth night. And so another answer is just the fact that when you put oil in a, in a container and put a wick in and, mm -hmm. and, and bring a match to it, that that burns, meaning that the laws of nature function, that's also miraculous just to marvel at you know, the, the laws of nature of Teva actually functioning mm. is also awe-inspiring. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah. So can I share with you the other other story that came in or, yes, or other please. perspective? Yeah. So this one was shared anonymously. Um, yeah. And so, so this was from someone who was saying that she has struggled this year to kind of get into the mood. Um, that, that, you know, she sort of heavily went and put up her Hanukkah decorations and, and kind of was, was feeling like not, not in the mood, not in the groove, not, not in the spirit. Of Hanukkah, and, uh, you're saying? Of Hanukkah, yes. Right. Yes, yes. And she said that as she was lighting the, the, the lights last night in her home, without her extended family, without, you know, some of the, the practices and experiences that typically would be there. And she was feeling maybe some of this heaviness mm. that, that can be here, right? Which is why, again, like talking about hope and resilience as sometimes totally miraculous to put one foot in front of the other. She was struck by the fact that as Jews, and this is really such a core teaching, as Jews, we don't wait to have the feeling in order to do. And that perhaps we do in order to create the feeling. We don't wait, we create. And that we don't sort of sit back and hope that we'll be struck by some kind of inspiration or be in the right mood or space but rather we are given practices, we are given actions, we are given the choreography of what it is to be a Jew in this world. And that when it comes to this time of year, when it comes to the 25th day of the Jewish month of Kislev, when it is dark, whether you're high or low, whether you're inside or outside, whether, you know, whether we're in pandemic or it's just another year, or this is a, a wonderful season of your life, or this is actually like that decade where, where you are being squeezed and you're not sure what's around the corner. Either way, we come and we light. And that it is through the doing that we become. That it is through the act and the observance that we create that internal reality and, and that perhaps more than any other year, we're being reminded of this. And again, like if Hanukkah is the guidebook, or as we spoke about it last week, right? Like God's, or sorry, the, the sages really um, lunch note to us that we are gonna have a long exile, but hey, honey, I'm with you. Then 
I think kind of like part of what they were reminding us was sometimes you're not going to feel like it. And, and we do it. We do it because it's through the doing that we become. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's also, you know, this core tenant, like the external awakens the internal. There's something mm-hmm. about doing it that allows the, the spark to come. Oh, I heard this beautiful phrase from, um, from Rabbi David Aaron, actually. So, you know, there's this common um, phrase we say, right? Like fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then there's Amy Cuddy, if you're familiar with her research around presence and, and understanding that body language actually yeah. communicates from the outside in and, and that actually by engaging in what she calls power poses, more expansive postures, we actually uh, send messages through the body to the brain and to the nervous system that, that shift our neurobiology and how we feel inside of ourselves and you know, on and on, not yeah, enough time. It's an amazing TED talk. If anyone hasn't seen it yet, it's a lot. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So she says, it's not fake it till you make it, fake it until you become it. Mm, love it. And Rabbi David Aaron says, fake it until you awake it. Mm, it's that. there. That's so much better. It's like there, right? More. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So I, I, so I heard him say that on the um, Momentum interview with um, Adrian. Oh, Holt. right. And with Stephanie. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's so Steph- cool. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Um, so, so yes. So fake it until you awaken. I think that's really like part of what the task is here as well. Mm. Like, yeah, you don't feel like it. Okay, honey, come, let's do this. That's beautiful. Yeah. And the dance, we used to talk about this idea um, in the dance company and with meditation also like do the technique that you could, because you can't rely on inspiration. Like when you're in it, when you're a dancer, you do a thousand plies and you do all of your work and get yourself ready so that when you go on stage, but when you go on stage, you're not, you have the technique to fall back on if you're feeling miserable that day. But if you're really feeling it and you're like inspired and you walk out on stage and you put inspiration together with technique, then you see something other level, mm-hmm. you know, that's Barishnikov, like, yeah. you know, where you see all those pieces come together. So yeah, we have this technique built in as a part of our Jewish practice. When we put that technique together with inspiration, then something's happening. But in the meantime, you can't always rely on inspiration. So do the technique so that when the inspiration does strike, you're totally ready. You sold me. <laughs> Where's the dance class? I'm in. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So how should we end today? How should we go into the rest of Hanukkah? Is there something else that we should keep in mind and choose in terms of our choosing up paradigm? Yeah, well... There is a beautiful piece of this week's Parsha, of this week's Torah portion, that is so much at the core and the essence of, of, of our ongoing conversation of what it is to choose up, what it is to live in the everyday and, and be transformed by looking for growth and meaning and God, which doesn't mean we're always looking for the good. You know, we don't we don't always see the good in the moment, but it becomes good when we find that that we are not, as you said, victims of the storyline, but we can be involved in in finding that meaning and that growth and, and ultimately the hands of the Almighty. And and so really in, in the story of Yosef, in the story of of Joseph's life, I, I always feel very grateful to Andrew Lloyd Webber when I teach some of this because you know he made much of this very well known. Um so so there is a a famous 
mention in the Torah where Yosef, Joseph is being sold by his brothers and he's going on this, this caravan of Yishmaelim and he's going to go down to Egypt. And the Torah mentions that they came with this caravan um, and that their camels were bearing, were bearing spices. And so there's much discussion about what these spices were. And I see some knowing smiles. So I, I'm thinking some of you have learned some of this. Um, and so Rashi, our, as we say, go-to commentator, explains that the mention of the spices, why, why was the verse bothering to talk about this, was to publicize the rewards of the righteous, of the tzaddikim. For it's not the way of Arabs or Yishmaelim to carry anything but petroleum and resin, whose odor is foul. But for this one, Joseph, it happened that spices were the cargo of the caravan so that he should not be harmed by the foul odor. So my dear friend, Bailey Braun, she used to be Bailey Newman, had a beautiful piece about, about this a number of years ago that always stuck with me. And Shout she out said, to Bailey, like, I always miss her. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking fondly of her all the time. Yeah, yeah. So, so Bailey asks the question, right? So we learn this and like, okay, yeah. So like normally they didn't have spices, spices, that's their word. Okay. Yeah. But really like in essence, what Rashi and the Torah is telling us is that it was like a stinky taxi and there was like a little air freshener hanging at the front. And that was like God loving him, right? Like one of those little um, pine tree air fresheners, right. like that's like the big like reward. That, for that being made like, the difference. Really? That made it all good. Oh, there's right. an air freshener. Thank you. You got my back. <laughs> Right, she asked this question, like, what, what's going on here? Right. How, how did that really make a difference? Is that really yeah. the only card you're getting this year? Yeah, yeah, like there's a, <laughs> there's a little, there's a little bit of scent, and like now we're all good. And and you know, once once you ask that question, of course, it becomes an obvious question, like, yeah, how is that just like the thing that's going to make it all okay? Mm. And so the explanation that comes is as follows. It wasn't the air freshener itself. It wasn't the spices that just made it all okay. But that as Yosef, as Joseph is sitting in this caravan and he's, you know, we can kind of imagine, like take ourselves back there, like knocking about, knocking and cramped and scared and, and you know, severed from what, what he knows and where he's come from, not really knowing what is ahead of him. And he smells these spices. And yes, the spices don't fix everything. And the spices don't provide the cure or the vaccine, but mm. they provide something actually much more powerful. Mm. And that is, Yosef understands that these spices are not normally what's in a caravan. And in the sense that that air freshener hanging there is, is the almighty winking at him and saying, yes, there is a journey ahead. And sometimes like it's stinky and it's bumpy and it is hard and you're gonna be squeezed and you're gonna be scared. Mm. But you smell these spices, you see that air freshener, I'm with you. And that Yosef begins to learn spice language. Mm. And I think that is the essence of our work here and the essence of what we talk about so much is learning spice language, looking at our lives and not pretending that the air freshener is going to make it all okay. But understanding that the spices is the profound awareness. And I think it's awareness which is different than belief. 
because awareness is bringing into our sensory system and, and incorporating into our really day-to-day -day experience that we aren't alone on this storyline and that there are gonna be ups and downs, but the almighty is with me. Mm. And that's transformative. Mm. Mm. So yeah, I love that. It's like the difference between walking through a forest and walking through a forest and like feeling the wind on your face or, you know, smelling the, the, the earth, or it's like you, that moment of connection and appreciation that gives you the, you know, doesn't, doesn't get you from point A to point B, but it allows you to know that you're not alone on the, on the journey. Yeah. And, and I think that's like, when you talk about the wind on your face, so, so the, the spice language is there's a source for that wind on my mm -hmm. face, right? There's an almighty, there's a creator right. behind that gust of wind. Yeah, that's beautiful. Right? This isn't random chaos mm. and, and, and learning to speak spice language. <laughs> you can hold, you can hold the air freshener personally, <laughs> but <laughs> definitely the spice language. Much, in, much more into the, like the cloves and cardamom. So that's all good for yeah. me. <laughs> Wow, so I want to, I want to send us off with a challenge to look for the spice language and maybe really like look for it within our homes. Mm. Mm. Love it. Yeah. Okay. So thank you. Thank you to all of you for joining us this morning for bringing so much light already to my Hanukkah. Yeah. And such beautiful stories. Thank you everybody for sending in such great stories and, uh, we can just ask everyone and encourage them to send us, continue sending us your choosing up stories. We really want to hear we them. And, and they're such great, um, such a great addition to all of our conversations. So Ilana, thank you so much. Um, Hanukkah Sameach and Shabbat Shalom and um, have a wonderful light bringing um, uh, Kedusha embassy creating holiday. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks everybody for joining Shabbat us. Shalom. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to join our live Zoom each week, go to myjfi.com slash register to sign up for our Zoom session on Fridays at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We would also love to hear your choosing up stories and moments. Please send us an email and let us know more at ellie at myjfi.com. To learn more about Alana Kendall, her book and her work, go to her website, alanacandle.com. Until next week, let's find our way to choose up.